episode 96, All I Want for Christmas. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the December 16th, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. And you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not bow, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, Santa Claus is coming to town, Santa Claus is coming to town. With the holiday season in full swing, today's episode will examine one of the many holiday-themed artifacts in the museum's collection. Join curator Blair Tarr and me as we take a look at an early cartoon depiction of Santa Claus and one clever little boy's attempt to get his wish list noticed. And then, in honor of the season and with a tip of the hat to the best-selling Christmas song of all time, we asked you to connect William Allen White to the composer of White Christmas, Irving Berlin. How do you connect the dots between a Russian immigrant who grew up in New York's Tin Pan Alley and a small-town Kansas newspaper editor? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, all I want for Christmas. Good morning, Blair. Good morning, Morgan. You're back so soon. Yes, isn't that amazing? I, I think this is going to become a regular thing. Yeah, but you probably won't come back for a couple of months now. Right, from that'll the, be true. Yeah. That'll be nice, actually. <laughs> well, it's been nice to see you two, <laughs> two weeks in, or four weeks, I guess, in a row. Um, today we're talking about a cartoon that's uh, very appropriate for the holiday season. And people can see the cartoon on our website, but those... But for those listening now who might not have immediate access to the web, can you describe the cartoon for us? Uh, yes, it's a cartoon that shows Santa Claus who has just come down the chimney and he's confronted by a talking machine or a phonograph, one of the early phonographs that has a cylinder with the big horn that projects the voice out. And he's shocked because it's suddenly talking to him and he's dropped his bag of goodies on the floor. And... The talking machine is telling him in that usual uh, creaky voices of the old cylinders, Hello, Sandy. Please leave me a drum and a sled and a pair of skates and an automobile and a train and cars and some gum and candy and licorice and a sword and popcorn and a gun and anything more you got for I am a good boy. Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for reading that, Blair. Uh, Yes. Anybody understand that? (laughs) It's quite a clever little boy. Yes, he is. He's very smart. and can you describe the look on Santa's face? Santa's at least surprised, at the very least. It's, uh, I think the person who wrote the uh, essay just said shocked. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's taken him aback to find this thing talking at him. Yeah. Um, can you give us some background on the artist? The artist is a man by Albert T. Reed. He's a native Kansan, uh, born in Concordia. He actually had a pretty good reputation as an artist and an editorial cartoonist. Uh, Cartooning is how he really gets his start. Uh, he, he wins a contest with a Topeka paper in the mid-1890s and gets a job with them. And he winds up doing cartoons not just for them, but also a Kansas City paper as well. Mm. And he's also good enough that he works in other media as well, uh, oil, oils and friends mostly. 
And with another Kansas artist, George Stone, they set up a school here in Topeka, which is really the foundation of the Washburn University Art Department. I didn't know that. Pretty so cool. uh, he is rather prominent. He's kind of forgotten now. Mm -hmm. uh, surprisingly, a lot of like a lot of <laughs> yeah. local artists are. He did go a little bit further. After 1919, he was working out of New York. He, he moved up. <laughs> he, yeah, he moved up and. He came back occasionally to do some murals. Uh, he did a couple of WPA murals in some Kansas post offices. I forget oh. which one's right at the moment. Uh, that was going to be my next question, where? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be it. I just sort of <laughs> you could make something out. I got that one. <laughs> uh, but he, he, as I said, he stays there until his death in 1958. And uh, what other kind of cartoons did he produce? Besides the Santa Claus one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he covered just about everything he could. A lot of it was, it was purely political, attacking some of the uh, uh, political figures of the day. There's some that I recall in our own collections that, there's several actually, I'm kind of surprised in a way, although I knew this was happening back then, it's still happening today. They're dealing with censorship issues such as censoring Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn mm -hmm. in schools around the country, so <laughs> some things don't change. Yeah. <laughs> so what were some of the political issues in Kansas at this time? Uh, it, it, it's sort of an interesting time, particularly for Reed and his cartooning. Just from the examples we have, we have over 600 of his original cartoons. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> He's busy. <laughs> well, if you're doing one almost on a daily basis, it's, you have to be really creative to yeah. come up with that. And it hits on... A change in politics, which gets almost too boring to talk about at times, actually. <laughs> uh, he's really starting out in what's the populist era, where there are those that want certain reforms and even expanding government for the, the public good, which is not what the Republicans wanted. It wasn't so much what the Democrats wanted at the time either, but... Uh, Who cares about public yeah. good? <laughs> But this changes at the end of the decade, in the turn of the century, in 1900, and it goes into the progressive era in the Republican Party, where there's a sudden lurch to the left, which hasn't been seen before or since, <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's the period when William McKinley is assassinated. McKinley has sort of expanded government powers a little bit, but he's succeeded by Theodore Roosevelt, uh, who is the trust buster, <laughs> <laughs> and it extends over into Kansas politics as well, okay. uh, so that we have people like William Allen White and Henry Yeah, Allen. we know about him. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree, right? Yeah. But they all take a lead in Kansas politics for the first decade of the 20th century and into the 1910s. And then it sort of lurches back to the right in the Republican Party, both nationally and... Hmm. Uh, Interesting. But they, it is sort of funny, though, because even the progressives sort of adopted some of the same things that the, the populists wanted, and such as a graduated income tax. And uh, they even dealt with prohibition to an extent as well, which that was, of course, one other thing that... Uh, 
uh, Reed would do cartoons on more locally. Uh, Carrie Nation was quite active at the time. He shows up, she shows up rather as a regular subject <laughs> in his cartoons. Reoccurring character? <laughs> yeah, it's usually not very flattering and usually on a stage of other characters like Sockless Jerry Simpson who Reed clearly didn't think much of any of these people from his cartoons. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, and I understand that Reed featured a phonograph in several of his cartoons. Um, was he a fan of this new technology? I'm not sure he was a fan, exactly, but he certainly knew how to take advantage of it for the cartoons, I think. Uh, the one that I know of that I kind of like is from the 1908 presidential campaign. Both candidates that year, William Jennings Bryan and William Howard Taft, recorded several cylinders on their position, so he drew this cartoon that shows a moderator in between two talking machines going at each other, <laughs> which might be an improvement over the presidential debates that we have today. I'm not sure. But <laughs> Um, okay, I think it's pretty smart of little Tommy to use cutting-edge technology like this to get through to Santa. If a kid wanted to do that today, what do you think he'd use? Oh, I don't know. He'd probably have some big multimedia presentation that as soon as Santa came out from the chimney, there'd be a light show and you'd have computers <laughs> going off and bells, whistles. and <laughs> Yeah, I picture like fog machine. Yes. <laughs> And it would sound a lot better than the towel talking machines, too. Yeah. It'd be the latest technology like what we have that turns my melodious voice into sounding like James Earl Jones. <laughs> okay, final question. What are you hoping Santa brings you this year? I'm still waiting for him to bring my Red Rider BB gun from years ago, and it still hasn't arrived yet. I am really, well, never mind what I'm really, but I'm bad. I'm bad. <laughs> well... I guess you can I, just keep pushing for it every yes. year. <laughs> Maybe the toothpaste will bring it for you yes. one year or something. It's, it's not really what I wanted, but I was told to keep it clean. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Yes, <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. You're quite welcome. for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. But before we get to that, we've had requests from some of our listeners asking how regular podcast host, assistant curator, Merle Riedel, is doing on his military deployment. So here with an end-of-the-year update is museum director Bob Kekeisen. Well, thanks, Morgan. And we want to thank our listeners for their continued support and interest, not only in the podcast, but in how Merle is doing as well. Well, as many of you know, Merle is a captain in the Kansas National Guard, and currently is deployed with the 130th Field Artillery on a peacekeeping mission along the coast of the Red Sea in the Sinai Peninsula. Now, longtime listeners will know that Merle was our original, and up to the time of his deployment, our only host for the podcast since their inception back in 2006. And when he was deployed last May, Morgan capably and cheerfully stepped in to pinch hit while Merle's overseas. So thank you for that, yeah, Morgan. You're welcome. We appreciate it's been it. Fun. Uh, well, Merle's deployment began in June of this year, and he and his troops are stationed at six remote observation points spread along the coast of the Red Sea. And they observe the coast and the major highways on the Sinai Peninsula to ensure that Egypt is in compliance with the 1971 peace treaty. Well, we've heard from him several times, and it sounds like things are going pretty well. So I thought I'd just read a few excerpts from his emails. Uh, the first one we got back in September, and he says, Just thought I'd drop a line and say hello. We've been in Sharm El Sheikh for about three weeks now. The weather's hot, and it never rains. For the most part, things are going nicely. I now have a really cool story about getting stranded on an island, 
seeing a Norwegian general's naked butt and skimming across the Red Sea in a dinghy. <laughs> so uh, we're anxiously, uh, obviously anxiously, awaiting the details on that one, particularly in regard to the Norwegian general. And then in November, uh, he wrote back and said, um, I just finished a game of basketball. We have an organized league that plays on Wednesday nights. Tonight we played the Puerto Rican battalion. And basketball must be new there because they haven't invented a little thing called a foul yet. <laughs> Everything is going well. We went to Mount Sinai a few days ago. It was a seven-kilometer hike up the mountain, but well worth it. Now I see why Moses liked going up there. We saw a monastery from the 6th century. We did a little sightseeing because we had a few days off. In that time, I tried some scuba diving and decided that a constant and present fear of drowning was just not the way I wanted to spend my free time. So instead, we just hung out on the beach for a while and watched Europeans sport their male and female bikinis. <laughs> we also ate at the Hard Rock Cafe, just so I could get a t-shirt that reads, Hard Rock Charmel Shake. <laughs> so that's nice to know that uh, you know we're, we're spreading our culture yes. throughout the world there. So well, actually, it's the, you know, the first Hard Rock was in Britain, so I guess we can blame that one, blame them for that one. So anyway, it sounds like things are going good for him. And for the holidays this year, the staff here at the Historical Society put together a couple of boxes of care packages consisting of things from home to help Merle get through the deployment and a Christmas away from home. Uh, staff here gathered and sent books, Pringles, Oreos, homemade cookies, and boxes of Earl Grey tea, among a lot of other things, including a Superman <laughs> poster with Merle's face superimposed. That was on it. great. Did yeah, you see it? it? Yeah, it looked fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Well, it now hangs in his office in Egypt, so I'm sure he's uh, having fun with that and uh, explaining it to his troops. But uh, after he received the packages a couple of weeks ago, uh, we got a very nice thank you note from him, and he says in part, just wanted to thank you for the amazing Christmas packages that you sent me here in Egypt. I couldn't believe all the awesome stuff you sent. We celebrated Thanksgiving here. Basically, our dining facility hosted a huge Thanksgiving Day dinner. It was good, but the cooks are all local Egyptians, so the turkey didn't quite taste the same as back home. Uh, last week, the adjutant general from Kansas came out to see us. It was nice to see some faces from back home. Happy holidays. Well, Merle's scheduled to be back sometime late this summer, hopefully in August, and we'll continue to keep you updated on how he's doing. We, of course, are very proud of his service, as we are of all the men and women in the armed forces who are stationed far from home, especially during this holiday season. So thanks to all our listeners for their interest and concern for Merle, and now it's on to Six Degrees of William Allen White. Okay, thanks, Bob. So welcome to Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And Museum Director Bob Keckeisen. Hi. Well, here we are. It's about a week from Christmas, and it seems like everywhere we go, you're hearing Christmas music, radio, TV, yep. stores. You might even have a holiday mix on your iPod. Yep, I do. Do you? Yes, I do. <laughs> so uh, that naturally got us thinking about how to connect our favorite Kansan, William Allen White, to the holiday season. Because what else would we think of the holiday season? <laughs> We're just that weird. That's just how exciting our lives are. <laughs> So at the end of our last episode, we asked you to connect William Allen White with Irving Berlin, composer of the best-selling Christmas song of all time, White Christmas. So, Bob, can you give us some background on Irving Berlin? You bet. Well, Irving Berlin is considered by many to be America's greatest songwriter. And he was born Israel Berlin. I think that's how you pronounce that, B-A-L-I-N-E, on May 11th, 1888 in Russia, of all places. Hmm. And his family, like many Jewish families, fled Russia in 1893 to escape the pogroms by the Cossacks. Well, the family came to New York, and they settled on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. 
and as a young boy, uh, he developed a pretty good singing voice, and he and some of his colleagues would go sing in saloons, hoping that customers would you know, pitch some coins their way, <laughs> and he eventually got a job as a singing waiter and taught himself to play the piano. Wow. And interestingly, since he was self-taught, he only ever learned to play in one key. <laughs> so as he, later in life when he got more famous, he actually had a specially built piano that had levers so he could change keys because he could only play in one key. You would think if you yeah. taught yourself how to play, you could probably teach yourself how to yeah. play more. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to needing levers. Yes. I think that would be harder. Yeah. But his biggest change was when he changed his name. <laughs> he changed his name from Israel Berlin to Irving Berlin because he thought that would be easier for people to remember. And he started writing songs and had his first big hit in 1911 with Alexander's Ragtime Band. Uh, which I played in lots of different bands when I was in school, so I played that song a lot. And he continued to turn out hundreds of songs over the years, um, many of which people recognize, they may not know Irving Berlin wrote them, including uh, Pretty Girl is Like a Melody, What'll I Do, Blue Skies, uh, for all you young Frankenstein fans, Putting on the Ritz, is a <laughs> Irving Berlin song, uh, Heat Wave, Easter Parade. He also composed all the music uh, in the Broadway musical Annie Get Your Gun. Hmm. including There's No Business Like Show Business. Uh, but probably his two best-known songs are God Bless America, which is sometimes referred to as America's unofficial national anthem, and White Christmas, for which he won the 1942 Academy Award for Best Song. And that was just one of seven Oscars he won in his lifetime. And it has become, as Morgan said, the best-selling single record of all time. Uh, he lived a long and productive life and passed away just 20 years ago. Hmm, September wow. 22nd, 1989, at the age of 101. Oh, wow. So, there you go. Irving so, Berlin. It's kind of hard not to burst into song when you're listening to those, but, you know, <laughs> I think it's best that we spare our listeners. Yeah. I know I'm not going to be singing anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I started dancing and putting on the wrist. You can't help it. <laughs> It's a good thing this is a video. Yeah, no <laughs> Well, interestingly, well, maybe interesting to me, maybe not to our listeners, but uh, There's No Business Like Show Business actually became kind of Ethel Merman's signature song, and I got to the, perform that with her Whoa. one time. So there's my little nod, my little six degrees. Uh, <laughs> Ethel, when, Ethel I was, <laughs> yeah, when I played percussion with the Wichita Symphony, we did a Pops concert, and Ethel Merman was our guest artist. This is probably back in 1972 or 73. And she was wow. great. And that was her opening number and came out cool. and sang with the symphony. And she was fabulous. But we're not here to talk about Ethel or me. <laughs> so. Maybe next time. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. So there you go. And let's hear your solution, Michaela. Well, we were talking before there are at least three solutions to this one. And I think the longest one because it was the least obvious one for a change. How about that? Okay. Um, so as Bob mentioned, Irving Berlin wrote the music and lyrics for America's favorite holiday song, White Christmas, which was the basis in 1952 for the movie of the same name. Um, it starred Bing Crosby, Crosby, Rosemary Clooney, Vera Ellen, and Danny Kaye. Uh, Danny Kaye at the time was a popular comedian and actor, and he had starred in several films, including a movie called On the Riviera with the actress Jean Tierney. And Tierney herself was a very popular actress, um, also known for having a good stage and film career. Um, sadly, she's also known for having poor mental health. <laughs> um, in 1957, she was sent to the Menninger Clinic here in Topeka, which Menninger Clinic is a well-known um, psychology treatment center. Um, she was sent to Menninger after a neighbor saw her trying to jump off a ledge. 
So oddly enough, too, she was admitted to the clinic on December 25th. So oh, there's another Christmas tie in for you. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Menninger's. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the founding psychiatrists at the clinic was Dr. Carl Menninger, who was um, a close friend of William Lindsay White, who was the son of William Allen White. And I think uh, Carl Menninger also um, advised William Lindsay and his wife on who to see for psychological treatment for themselves. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's that's yes. an impressive solution. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's out there. <laughs> and Bob, you had one too. Well, yeah, I didn't kind completely of. work this out, but Irving Berlin wrote a campaign song uh, called, appropriately enough, "I Like Ike." for the 1952 presidential campaign for uh, Dwight Eisenhower. So I figured, oh, well, there's an immediate Kansas connection, but I didn't take it any farther than that because that's <laughs> Nikayla's job. Well, but, William yeah. Lindsay and Eisenhower yeah. were friends, Brand so there you go. Yeah, yeah. leave it to Nikayla. Well, and yeah. then the other one was um, Alexander Wolcott was um, Berlin's friend and biographer, and he was a member of the round, Algonquin Round, round Table. table but. So, and I saw that first, and I was like, no, yeah. people are so tired <laughs> of the again. Algonquin Round Table. <laughs> I love them, but others are probably like, oh, my God. So... <laughs> Well, that's an impressive solution. Jean yeah. Tierney. Right. Yeah, which there is a story about Jean Tierney when she was at Menninger's working in a part of the rehab program, was working in the community, and she worked in a dress shop in downtown Topeka and was kind of outed by a customer. Yeah, yeah. So. part of her therapy, they sent her to where I think it was Pelletier's yeah. from uh, people who have lived in Topeka a long time remember Pelletier's, and she was a, that was part of her therapy was she went down and did retail and someone recognized her because she was Jean Tierney. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Well, we're getting so much more information today. Yeah, we're all <laughs> Thanks, about learning. guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, would you like to issue the next challenge? Oh, sure. I hope, I hope it's as fun as this one's been. Anyway, our next uh, podcast will be in two weeks, which will be on the eve of New Year's Eve. So we want you to connect William Allen White to the longtime king of New Year's Rockin' Eve, Mr. <laughs> Dick Clark. <laughs> the ageless Dick Clark. Yes. Okay, so if you think you can connect William Allen White to the seemingly ageless star of the annual Times Square TV extravaganza, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out. Includes episode 96, All I Want for Christmas. To see photos of the Reed cartoon, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on podcasts. Would you like to see the Cool Things podcast ranked higher on iTunes? Help us out by leaving a comment, better yet, a five-star rating. Go to the iTunes store, then search for Cool Things, click on our podcast, and throw some stars. Come back in two weeks when curator Laurel Fritch stops by to tell us about a doll whose dress was made from a sugar sack. What's the story behind this doll? And why is she smoking a cigar? Join us in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. 